0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hello, and welcome to the New Books Network. This is New Books in Eastern European Studies, and I'm your host, Jill Messino. Today I'll be speaking with Professor Agnieszka Kuszczanska about her new book, Gender, Pleasure, and Violence, the Construction of Expert Knowledge of Sexuality in Poland, which was just published, meaning in 2021, with Indiana University Press. Prior to this, the book was published in Polish and in Poland in 2014. Welcome, Agnieszka.
0: Well, thanks for inviting me. So a little background on
1: Dr. Koszczanska. She's an associate professor in the Department of Ethnology and Cultural Anthropology at the University of Warsaw, where she also received, in 2007, her PhD in Ethnology and Cultural Anthropology. She teaches courses on the Anthropology of Gender and Sexuality, the History of Sexuality, and Race and Racism in Eastern Europe. She is currently a Leverhulme Visiting Professor of Russian and East European Studies at the University of Oxford's School of Global and Area Studies. In addition to the book we'll be discussing today, Dr. Kostjanska is the author of To See a Moose, The History of Polish Sex Education, which is forthcoming with Bergan Books this year. She is also the principal investigator in a project entitled Catholicizing reproduction, reproducing Catholicism, activist practices, and intimate negotiations in Poland, nineteen thirty to the present. So Agnieszka, I'd like to begin with a general question, uh, namely, how did you become interested in this topic?
0: In sexuality, you mean? Uh, yes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yes. So I think it's a it's a very long story, and it goes to uh, to the research I did did for my PhD. So I was. Uh, I was doing fieldwork among members of this uh, uh, new religious movement uh, in Poland. So there were women who converted from Catholicism to uh, what is called the Brahma Kumaris. This is a, a Hindu-rooted new religious movement. And one of the rules there uh, is uh, among the members, it's the sexual abstinence. So I was really interested how these women who were often married, what, how Sexual abstinence worked for them, and surprisingly, the majority of them were really uh, happy in the, uh, in their marriages without having sex. But one of them told me the story how she how how her husband was really unhappy about her decision not to have sex anymore, and he forced her to go to to see a sexologist. And that was a really difficult experience for her because the sexologist told her that she, that is something wrong with her, that she doesn't want to have sex anymore, and she was telling me all these terrible stories about th- this experience. And I remember from my own reading of uh, of uh, sex books, Polish sex books back in the I don't know late eighties when I was a teenager. Well, I thought they were they were really interesting and informative and so on. So when I finished my PhD, I decided to come back to this and I just read the books I read as a teenager now critically and I saw that there are so many because sexology was huge in Poland. So there were so many um, sexology books. My parents had like entire library of them, and uh, and then I read them again and so I thought, well. I can see that uh, maybe these books are not so great as I thought that because they yes they are really uh, emancipatory when it comes to sexuality but at the same time they are really traditional when it comes to to gender and this is how I started to uh to you know be interested in uh, in sexology and I didn't really want to do any historical studies because I'm as you said I'm an anthropologist but there was absolutely nothing about uh, sexuality and mostly sexology in Poland under socialism. And, and, and this field was really, really big back then. So I thought, well, I started doing this, doing some historical research, and here I am, uh, quite a few years later, uh, still talking about sexology, sexuality and state socialism.
1: Well, I mean, there's certainly a lot to talk about, and it's a really exciting field, especially with respect to the Eastern Bloc during the Cold War. And um, as I was reading your book, I was thinking quite a lot about Romania because I've studied sexuality in that context. And even though it's typically associated with conservatism, I found sex manuals similar to the ones you referenced. So when reading your book, I did certainly find some parallels, but we'll get to those details later. For now, I would like to start with definitions. So could you tell our listeners how you define sexology and also how you define experts? And also explain who's included in the category of expert, because it seems to be quite a capacious category in Poland during this time.
0: Also, sexology, I, def- I define as as it is defined in, uh, in Eastern Europe as a scientific study of sex. Uh, and I think Differently to the US, for instance, sexology in countries like Poland is, is broader because it, it covers uh, not only science of sex, but also sex therapy and often sex education as well. So, so these are all experts who, uh, who talk, uh, talk about sexuality and who study sexuality and who treat sexual dysfunctions, and these experts uh, are um, doctors, medical uh, um, physicians, often who are often also psychiatrists, for instance. But they are also sexologists who do do not have medical education. So uh, that would be uh, therapists or sex educators who are who didn't have any and a medical treatment. And I think it's important to to, to, to see this really broad definition of, of sexology as not only a medical field, but also a broader field of scientific uh, and sometimes also humanistic interest in sexuality.
1: Yeah, I was especially impressed by how Comprehensive and interdisciplinary, the sexologists were. And I actually have a more detailed question for that for when we move on to the particular sections of the book. But before we do so, I would like to um, ask you about the sources you've used in this book, so the interviews you conducted, um, and also uh, the nature of the participant observations.
0: Yeah, so I start for me as not a historian, uh, it was really important. So when I started my research, I started to talk to people. Uh, talk to experts and i also uh took all sorts of classes for future experts and that uh, and i tend i uh, i also attended several conferences and workshops uh related to 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 sexology or more broadly or all forms of sexual 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 knowledge and i was um uh, so, so for me, participant observation in all those spaces was really important because it showed me, uh, what's important and for, for people in the field. So it's not that I was, uh, doing, uh, only archival work in which I, I saw that there were certain names that are the most important names, but, but I, I, I start to, uh, in, in anthropology, we often, or in more broadly in social sciences, we often often talk about snowballing. I mean, on you know, looking looking your interview partners through recommendations, and this is this is what I did also in combining participant observation, interviews, and uh, and archival work. So I was trying to to build on what I heard. During all the classes and conferences I attended, to see, to ask what people read, what was important for them, and this is how I started to uh, reconstruct the history of sexology under under socialism. And of course, later on, I uh, I did more systematic archival work to see uh, uh, to have and looked looked at publications and journals and and very much on popular press because. Almost every sex expert has his or her own sex column uh, in in one of the one of the magazines uh, popular magazines in in socialism so and and I thought that that really it was really interesting to to look how how today the history uh, of sexology is is being is being discussed by experts themselves by sexologists themselves how they what they see it's important, what they see uh it's it's not important and how they build they they own history and i was of course very much critical of their own narrative because their own narrative is uh it's it's not only in sexology but usually in the history of medicine uh when you look at how how medical scholars themselves look at they feel they only uh, they usually see they feel as a constant progress and and uh the history of, of great achievements, and and I think it's just more complicated than that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I have to say, as a scholar who draws heavily on qualitative research, so I conduct interviews as well, um, and as a scholar of everyday life under socialism and post-socialism, that obviously also looks at how discourses are constructed from the top and then disseminated and then kind of how they're received by individuals, I really appreciated your approach and it it really resonated with me. So um, it's such a rich study as a result of this multi-level analysis of sources. So um, it's quite an achievement, I have to say. So I would like to move on to a discussion of the parts of the book. and, And I focus my questions around the parts of the book rather than the individual chapters. And so I'd like to start with part one, which looks at sexology and society. And here you examine the development of Western sexology. You talk about Kinsey's approaches to sexology, uh, Masters and Johnson, um, and also that of Western feminists. And you place the Polish school of sexology within that context. So could you tell us in what ways the Polish approach to sexology is similar, but also different from those of Western sexologists? Um, And then could you also discuss how cultural, social, economic, ideological context matter in this case. So how especially, and I'm thinking, obviously, uh, the ideological and economic context, right? So liberal democracy, capitalist system versus a, a communist and socialist one. How does that influence how these sexologists approach sexology?
0: So Polish sexologists were well, well, were well aware... Of what's going on in in the West, especially in the U.S. So contrary to what we uh, tend to think that uh, during the Cold War there was no there were no exchanges between the East and the West, uh, scholars could easily maybe not that easily but they could travel to international conferences. They could order books and they could. Uh, uh, and there were also a lot of contacts organized via uh, uh, Planned Parenthood networks. So so there was a lot of exchanges and and, uh, and for instance, Masters and Johnson work was uh, was translated into Polish and, and published in Poland just a few years after its original publication. So so Polish experts and Polish Polish uh, um, sexologists were were aware of uh, both uh, both uh, Kinsey's work and Masters and Johnson work. And and they quoted this work and they thought it it was it was important and interesting. But at the same time, they were critical of, especially Masters and Johnson, because of the uh, decont- decontextualization of sex. So for Masters and Johnson, uh, sexuality is really much within the body. So how they did the research, um, I'm sure that uh, that everybody heard about them, especially. Um, especially after after the the, the, the masters of uh, sex show so so but but they they just uh, put volunteers in the lab and ask them to, to have sex or to masturbate and measure their bodily reactions and Polish, Polish sexologists thought that this approach just doesn't really explain everything because according to them, sexuality is very much contextualized and it's very much, um, and it's very much about, not only about the body, but also about culture, society, politics, economy, ideology, religion, everything, sexuality, sexuality is about everything. So this kind of thinking, it's, it's very much how, how we, uh, Think about sexuality today in a uh, in a in a feminist context. So so you cannot talk about sexuality within within placing without placing it in a in a broader social cultural and political context because this is what constructs uh, how how people experience sex. So so in this sense, that was a really interesting approach uh, they developed, and and uh, and I think. It, it could it, we could argue that this very specific approach was also uh, it also depend I mean that was ideologically dependent that was this kind of approach which developed away from uh, market e- economy for instance so they didn't they didn't have to be worried about funding because they they were state funded and uh, and the state uh, could hire not only medical doctors but also psychologists, or uh, or they the state cover things like uh, uh, inviting an art historian who would talk about sexuality and and art in the history. So uh, and and many of uh, many of of people I talked to, many 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 Polish Polish sex experts of older generation were telling me how they. How they met with their colleagues in the uh, in the U.S. and how these colleagues, medical doctors, sexologists in the U.S. Uh, were telling them how they are dependent on the business and the uh, and the funding, so that they that they couldn't hire an art historian or they couldn't hire an, an anthropologist uh, the, the, sorry they couldn't hire an anthropologist or or an art historian, or a religious scholar, to help them understand uh, sexuality, because on, the only people who got funding that this were the people who, uh, who, who could you know write prescription and so on. So, so I think that, that this this very specific way of doing, uh, of uh, of doing sex research was also uh, dependent on general, uh, general economic system. And uh, general ideological uh, settings. So I hope that's so. Um, um,
1: sorry. Yeah, I mean, that's excellent. Um, did you have
0: more? Sorry. No, 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 no. I just.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, their approach, uh, the approach in Poland is surprisingly progressive. And I especially think of it in the context of a heavily Catholic country, right? Where the church doesn't have as much sway, but certainly it still has some. And so. Maybe you could just address that briefly.
0: Well, one one of the reasons I wrote this book, as I wrote it, is just to uh, go against this this very strong uh, assumption that everything that's going on in Poland about is is related to Catholicism, and and I think it's just such an oversimplification. It's just really oversimplified view. And uh, yes, of course, the Catholic Church. Had, it's it's a really influential institution in Poland, uh, and especially in the 1970s and 80s, there is a huge influence of the Catholic Church on various uh, various uh, spaces of social life. But at the same time, there are there were other actors at play, and also sexuality was very often uh this space in which the church and the state uh uh there is a space of negotiation between the church and the state and you can uh you can see that in certain moments uh, sex experts can say more and in other moments they could say less this and and many and also many many uh sexologists to whom I spoke they said well they were when when the party was in the conflict with the church we could say more. And when they uh, didn't have any conflicts, well, there were some signals not to be so open. So, of course, uh, so there is no doubt that there is an influence of the church. And some of the doctors are Catholic. Uh, and they would uh, medicalize uh, certain Catholic ideas and present them uh, as medical. But at the same time, there was, there was really a lot of going on outside of the Catholic church. And outside of religious language, so so I think it's a mistake to look at Poland only in the turn in in the sense of uh, in in the context of Catholicism, and and of course uh, and and we have to remember that uh, during almost entire time of, of socialism in Poland abortion was legal, and. Uh, and also, there are there were a lot of quite progressive legal regulations related to gender and sexuality. So, so I think the, the church is relevant, of course, but it cannot uh, explain everything. So, I, so this is this is something I do on purpose, and especially that I wrote this book originally for Polish, uh, for the Polish audience and in Polish and i i really wanted to 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 and it, within the Polish feminist movement we always think about the church uh, as explaining everything and i i guess it's just not enough we we have to look at also in other spaces
1: yeah i mean i think it's really important to complicate uh that as you pointed out kind of simplistic lens through which we're analyzing gender and sexuality in the Polish context so Thank you for elaborating on that, and, and thank you for that intervention in the scholarship. Okay, so maybe now you could talk a little bit about how Polish sexology changes after the collapse of state socialism.
0: Well, so the collapse of state socialism goes, uh, mm, happens uh, just a few years before the invention of Viagra, which, which really you know, changed sex therapy globally so it's it really shifted from uh from various form of therapeutic um actions or trainings to just uh, this drug you can take and solve solve your problem so and i think in in many in many contexts that was that was the end of um, of anything else than just, uh, medicalized treatment. And, but, but I think Polish sexologists, which, which also, uh, was affected by Viagra in, uh, by the Viagra and other this kind of drugs that the, 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 the role of medicine, this, this whole humanistic approach about which I was talking, uh, earlier. Um, so, so, so this humanistic approach didn't really Go away, uh, because I think it was so strong that that yes, uh, the Viagra changed it and make it more medicalized. But there was still huge space for psychology and for other forms of uh, of thinking of sexuality. And I think also that in the 1990s, with with the development of uh, of Polish feminist movement. Uh, what happened that there was a, be, because Polish sexology was so interdisciplinary and so diverse and so open to to the humanities and so open to thinking through social thinking uh, uh, about sexuality through social problems, and I think thanks to this, uh, mm, sexologists found. Found space also for feminism within uh, within the thinking of uh, of sexuality and and I also interviewed uh, feminist activists who were active in the 1990s how they will te- they were telling me and they were telling me how they were involved in discussions with sexologists who often were mm, thought about. Gender in a very traditional, stereotypical way, and they were just explaining them that this is not right. And you can see how particular experts that who were approached, they really changed they they thinking about uh, uh, about gender, about uh, uh, women's or men's roles and and needs and uh, identities. So, so I think there were a lot. So. So, thanks to its very specific, uh, specific humanistic character, Polish sexologist was resilient to, uh, to some extent, was was and still is resilient to, to overuse of of uh, drugs such as uh, Viagra, and and also uh, quite open to to other ideas uh, such as feminism or queer theory even.
1: Yeah, I I was struck by that, and I think it's you know one of the positive legacies. Of course, you know there was this effort to dismiss everything from the socialist period, but this legacy that you highlight um, the influence of a more holistic and interdisciplinary, comprehensive approach to the study of sexuality uh, that influences right the continued study of it in the '90s and into 2000s. I think is particularly important, and it also helps to underscore just how kind of short sighted. Our approach is in the U.S., uh, because it's, of course, so focused on medicalizing the problem and making money off of it. And that in the Polish case, that there's resistance to that. And of course, at the end of the day, that is most beneficial for uh, the individual who is experiencing challenges, right? Because, you know, they're not necessarily given this, this dose, right? This medical dose of something that's supposed to cure their ailment, when in fact... The the causes uh, the problems are much potentially much deeper. Um, Okay, so let's move on to the second part of your book, uh, part two, where you explore sexual pleasure. And I was wondering if you could start by uh, explaining. So there's this notion of normal and healthy sexual behavior that uh, Polish sexologists uh, discuss. So. How is normal and healthy sexual behavior constituted by Polish sexologists during the socialist period?
0: So, in in the nineteen seventies, this is which is the the, the golden age of uh, Polish sexology. At, at least that is is how they see it. Uh, the seventies and the eighties uh, is the best time for them. So, so normal and healthy sexuality was was placed within marriage, and uh, was uh, uh, marriage and the procreation? I would say so. So there was uh, so, so there, there was this uh, I think strong tension between the idea that uh, uh, that sex is something important in life. Sexual satisfaction is a part of self development and uh, and and it's really important for an individual men and women equally to uh to be uh to have a full to have to have like good sexual life but at the same time this good sexual life was was you know the space how how sexologists see it was in the marriage and in a very traditional gender gender context so uh, so we tend to think about uh, sexual liber- liberation and gender emancipation as two things going together and i think and i think polish polish case uh, really complicates this because on the one hand there is this official narrative of uh, of gender uh, official socialist uh, narrative of gender emancipation but then sexologists say uh well but Maybe gender emancipation is not so great for uh, uh, for sexual life, which is also important. So, so, so I think that there, there are a lot of tensions, and in a way, I see it as a uh, response because sexologists also got a lot of letters from their readers, from women, for instance, complaining how tired they are that they don't have. Food. They don't have you know any energy for sex because they work at home they work they 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 work in the household and outside the household so so they go to work and they later they come back they take care of children and uh, clean and cook and so on and there, are, this is so many hours that uh, that they just don't have any energy for sex and, and in, pro, in reply to this kind of uh, concern sexologists would say well how about uh, having a uh, part-time job instead of full-time job so so they were they were really stressing that maybe maybe women should be women and men should be men and then sex life will be better but at the same time saying well but uh, women women's emancipation it's an important thing so 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 here again things are way compli- way, way more complicated than we we might tend to uh, tend to think. And at the same time, the, the sexology manuals gave a lot of uh, um, advice how to achieve good sex life. So, for instance, The, the Art of Love, Sztuka Kochania by Mihalina Wisławska was this most popular Polish, uh, Polish sex book, which sold, this is, this is estimated, and uh, sold 7 million copies. So it was like in every Polish household. So, uh, yeah, and she she, she has uh, 30 pages of discussion of orgasm and sexual positions and caused a lot of controversies, but everybody was buying this, I mean, buying the book. Yeah, I mean,
1: what I found particularly striking is that here these Polish sexologists uh, are writing in a socialist state under which uh, women and men are equal, right? Equal in all spheres under the Constitution, Yet you see this kind of traditional aspect to their approach of sexuality, at least by some of them, right? That this notion that, well, rather than suggesting that men help around the house so women are not so tired and so that they can have, you know, more enthusiasm uh, for an active sex life. The solution, according to them, is that women just work less.
0: Yes, yes. And of course, sometimes they suggested that men should uh, help around the house. But uh, but that was only uh, very... It... It didn't happen that often to suggest that, but but then yeah so 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 it's just uh, so I would I argue in the book that that they suggest a solution to um, because they try to navigate between uh, all possible uh, poss- all available discourses. So on the one hand, there's yes, there's a discourse of of uh, women's emancipation. But at the same time, there's uh, Poland wasn't that good at some at as such uh, at as some uh, socialist countries wasn't so um, Poland wasn't that so good in providing childcare and providing you know uh, nationalizing childcare child and housework and so on. So women were really very very tired, and there were, we have to remember that in the 70s the uh, uh women, women worked uh six days a week so that was only sunday was a was uh, 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 was this only day out of work and they and you know didn't have dishwashers and washing machines so that was really a lot of a lot of uh, housework to be done uh so and 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 sexologists and also other other experts received a lot of letters about uh, uh women being exhausted so so they were so i think they were trying to find uh, find a solution to this and there was no feminism there was polish polish league of of uh, of women uh, polish women's polish communist women's league but it didn't uh, really had such an impact uh, uh, in the 70s so so they offered this so sexologists offered the solution of less work just to try to find a you know to to reply to to women's concerns and there was no option for other for for other answer really and uh, but then when feminists appeared in the late uh, 80s or early 1990s that was one of the one of the spaces where femin- in which with feminists uh, intervene and try to convince Sexologist, that maybe uh, gender roles could be, or uh, within marriage, could be organized differently. And they mm, agreed at some point. Yeah, I
1: mean, I find it fascinating. And I'm thinking a lot of the Romanian context. And um, I'm not going to talk about that because I want to focus on your book, obviously. Um, but I did want to ask about sexual pleasure and who is responsible for it because you talk about that also in this part of the book. So, who is responsible for women's sexual pleasure, for men's sexual
0: pleasure? I think there's a long tradition uh, in, Paul, in, in Poland in sexology, but, but more broadly in, in health advice to, to think about uh, everything that is related to marriage, uh, health, uh, love, and uh, things like this. So everything that is related to, to marriage is women's responsibility. So, and and I think this is really interesting how and, and this is especially in this most popular Polish uh, Polish book, uh, the Art of Love, uh, that that the author Michalina Wisłowska, builds a concept of uh, of uh, women's agency, uh, which is. Uh, very st- on the one hand it's really strong because women should uh, be managers of the households and managers of uh, of the husband's uh, the husband's feelings and uh, and generally of good sexual life and marriage but on the other hand everything should be done from behind the scenes so she proposed this term. Female uh, diplomacy, and she talks about how women should uh, make their man uh, to figure out what they want. So they're responsible for their own uh, pleasure and they, their husband's pleasure, but at the same time they cannot say what they want. So, so they have to, they have to use this uh, uh, various forms of uh, non-direct communication uh, in. Uh, when it comes to sexuality but also other things in marriage such as health so to convince your husband to go to see a dentist you cannot tell him directly that he has problems he has a medical problem but you have to you know figure out how to uh, how to make him do it as, it as if it was his own idea so quite challenging right
1: you can't be too assertive you have to be subtle and persuasive Um, in a feminine way, right? Yeah. Okay. I was wondering if you could talk a bit about this notion of civilized sex and how it plays out with respect to gender, but um, in particular, sexual orientation and sexual practices. And of course, this also then uh, implies that there were deviant types of practices and behaviors.
0: Yes. So sexologists write a lot about uh, what it's called in polish cultura sexualna. so that this is the concept of of you know being cultured and civilized and I think this is uh, I don't know how it worked in Romania but uh, Romania but I think in other socialist culture there was quite a lot of discussion of of uh, you know the development of cultured behavior for uh, education and you know openness to To some expert ideas uh, such as psychology or sexology so 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 polish sexologists were really really into talking about uh uh, civilized sex so civilized sex should be as i said in marriage and should 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 be mm, full of pleasure should be healthy should be uh open to procreation, but at the same time not too much. So there is a space for contraception and family planning. Uh, but at the same time this is it's mostly seen in a in a in the context of of marriage. And uh, because all and all other things that are not reproductive uh, uh, or potentially reproductive uh, uh, sex between mm, the man and the woman. Are being pathologized a little or sometimes a lot. So, uh, for instance, homosexuality—it's—it's it's a little bit suspicious. Uh, but of course, if it happens in the in the context of uh, of a stable homosexual relation, it's it's better than uh, uh, if it's outside of it. And also, things like masturbation are often presented as not. Uh, really okay, uh, but with an exception of female masturbation that leads to better sexual satisfaction within the marriage later on. So 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 there is uh, so there's this context con- concept of you know leading that all sex all all your sexual energy should lead to uh, to what is uh, on the top of uh, sexual hierarchy, which is uh, which is penetration within marriage
1: so there wasn't space at least publicly acknowledged space uh, for non heteronormative sexual behaviors
0: well if uh, if there were within sort of a marriage <laughs> yes there were there was little little space especially later in the 19 uh, 1980s but uh, uh, yeah but but mostly that was marriage that was uh, in the center of this,
1: what I found striking is some of the terms that were used. So um, you mentioned masturbation in the East.
0: Yeah. So the, when it comes to uh, masturbation in the East, I think it's it's really it's really interesting because a lot of there was a huge interest in uh, uh, in how in in some ideas. Very often, very orientalist ideas on how sexuality uh, works uh, in in the East. The East being being uh, being understood really broadly, uh, covering uh, covering uh, uh, something. what Edward Said would call the uh, the East the Orient. So so there was India or. Uh, China Japan and also the uh, Middle East that was all called east the east so so there was a, a lot of fascination of uh, of various uh, uh, sexual techniques that were considered eastern and so and often i think the that was this narrative of presenting something about which you couldn't say in poland it was it was presented as being from abroad so either from the east or sometimes from the west and uh, and if it was from the west it was of course uh, of course sexologists would say that this is not right because the, the west is capitalist and the enemy but if it was from the east it could be just described as something positive and uh, and nice that could be practiced uh, uh in Poland and there was a lot of a lot of talk about kama sutra and uh, and things like this in in Polish uh, sexological books.
1: That's so fascinating. It's so interesting. Um, I wonder if there are similar cases uh, in other Eastern Bloc countries during this time. So I look forward to more research on this uh, by other scholars.
0: Yeah, and I think... Uh, somebody, okay. Oh, sorry, just one sentence. I, I just oh. wanted to say that, uh, that Kama Sutra I think it was like a source of inspiration for, for sexologists globally uh, to... You know to explore this in the in the uh, in the writings. Yeah, and just
1: that you know they're going eastward because of course they don't want to embrace anything that's you know coming from the capitalist uh, right countries. Yes. Um, okay, so I'd like to move on to part three, or sorry, no, actually I wanted to ask you about um, some of the discourses about gender and pleasure in Poland today. So since the collapse of state socialism
0: well so so within within expert now uh, expert discourses we can we can see uh what i mentioned already uh we can see feminist interventions so very uh uh, uh very often uh we think about feminism as coming from the from the west and uh, and there's a lot of criticism today of western feminism coming uh, to countries like Poland as something you know imposing on local culture but but i think it, it, looking at how sexuality was changed there's a, um, there's a lot of dialogue between polish women's organizations and western feminists in the 1990s and uh, and uh, there is a lot of feminist intervention in, uh, in the discourse, in the expert discourse of, se- <clears throat> of sexuality. And you can see that under the influence of, of feminists and feminist, uh, both activists and feminist sexologists, Polish sexologists start to talk about uh, gender and pleasure in a slightly different way. And they, uh, the idea that men could do something, some housework. It's more and more acceptable so so but of course even even during my uh uh during my fieldwork um i heard stories uh, that men who do housework might might experience erectile dysfunctions be- because uh because they are not uh this, because they stay at home and they lose their masculinity so uh, so so of course it's not that it's not that it changed overnight but i think we can we can observe a lot of feminist intervention into the discourse of uh, sexuality and uh, there's more and more strong feminist voices uh in this in this space so so uh so i think there is a when we when when we look at sexuality and reproduction and, and tra- transition from socialism to to post-socialism, all these changes are are not so obvious because on the one hand, women uh, lose the right to abortion, and there is a uh, there is a huge unemployment uh, among women, and uh, so and there are a lot of a lot of rights that women enjoy during socialism that are lost, but at the same time as there is more space for for public debate and more space for uh, deliberation and more space for transnational exchanges i think Polish feminist movement really develops very uh, very well in the 1990s and and there is really uh very various... when I talked to, to to feminist act- active back then uh i really so how intentional their actions were, how they, how they approached sexologists and well, telling them about uh, what they think about the work and how this work should be reformed. And I think this is, this is something that happened. Great. Thank you. Okay,
1: let's move on to part three, uh, which deals with sexual violence. Could you tell us how rape was defined, legislated and prosecuted under socialism? And then maybe as you're doing this, uh, talk about some of the stereotypes about women's and men's sexuality that affected the prosecution of sexual violence, so cases uh, regarding sexual violence.
0: Yes, yeah, so, so I think the, the the example of sexual violence under state socialism, it, it's a very good example how uh, the law and the legal pra- the, um, practice the, the the law as it's, as as it's written and legal practices are not necessarily the same because on the one hand so in Polish law uh, there is a long tradition of uh, defining rape uh, as broadly as possible so uh, under state socialism uh, mm, the the law which which was in place under state socialism was uh, uh was uh, made already in the 1930s. So the first Polish uh, modern uh, modern uh, penal, penal code from 1932 uh, defined rape really really broadly. So it didn't matter. Uh, so regardless is a, the gender of uh, of people involved and and there was it was also defined in a way that it doesn't matter really what happens. So, for instance, in the UK, uh, the law is that you you need uh, uh, you need there has to be a penetration to uh, to understand what happened, rape, to to call something rape. And then in uh, in Poland, you don't have to have penetration. So. So there's a really, uh, really broad understanding of, you know, sexual, uh, there's sexual act, and it could be various things that could happen, and they, they could still be understand, rape, could be defined as rape, and then, uh, and then it doesn't matter who's the victim, it, it, if it's a man or a woman or a wife or your wife or your husband or a sex worker. So, so, and this this law was really uh, was there under state socialism, and even more so, uh, the Polish Supreme Court in the early nineteen seventies uh, had a ruling that uh, that even if a victim um, the rape victim um, behave in a pro- provocative way, it doesn't matter; it still counts as rape. So so we, so and but under this progressive law there were just very very few uh, rape cases and uh, and even if they ended up at court uh, very often uh, uh those cases just uh ended up with finding uh, finding uh, offenders not guilty because uh, because the the survivor behaved provocatively Or so there was this whole concept of provocation that that uh, um, a woman provoked uh, male sexual aggression, and this is and this is very much linked with with the concept of agency I was talking about earlier. So so you have a so you have a woman who's responsible for 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 sexuality also for male sexuality, and uh, and then when rape happens. Uh, this is her fault. This is because she didn't. She didn't do her duty of. Uh, uh, she, did, she didn't do her duty of managing male sexuality. So uh, so I think this is this is really a very very problematic part uh, when when this whole concept of agents women's agency is uh, is being translated into into sexual violence and and. What I said earlier that uh, for Viswatska and also for other other doctors, there was this idea of uh, of doing things through female diplomacy, not being straightforward about what you want. So this this had really uh, when I when I studied it, discourses of sexual violence and then then how sexual violence was discussed in court, this idea of of uh, uh not straightforward communication was very much there so so the situation looks like this Women should never say yes to sex because she shouldn't be too straightforward so she should always say no but when she really says no uh then uh there's a mis- misunderstanding of what she's saying because everybody thinks that she should she's saying uh yes so 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 i think that mm, this idea the so i'm trying in the book i'm trying to come to to show gender and pleasure as interrelated in a way so so this, this is what makes women's pleasure uh it also makes her uh mm. makes her uh, vulnerable vulnerable to to violence so so there's this so she's she's really uh she just there's no space for her to to say uh to say no so so I think that was and and, and also sexual violence was this major space of, of uh, feminist intervention when feminists really talked to sex experts saying look you cannot say things like this you cannot say that a man cannot control his sexual feelings and and that this is women's thought that he couldn't control himself so so I think that this, this is uh, uh, this is really, uh, and this part was really difficult also for me to, to study because I study court files, which were really, uh, brutal in what was, what was there. And all those concepts about provocation and, uh, uh, and uh, women's reckless behavior, uh, before violence, uh, uh, they were just so visible there and they were so visible in expert discourses. So so, so it didn't matter that Poland had such a uh, such progressive law when the discourse of sexual violence was just so victim blaming, and uh, and you need feminist movement to really change this.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's interesting because we're talking about a state that's based on women's emancipation, right? Um, and then you have this form of legislation from the interwar period that is seemingly progressive and it's supposed it's designed to protect women. But yet you have these very patriarchal notions uh, about women's sexuality, about how they have to behave in a proper way. And then in these court cases in particular, um, how the defendants are mobilizing, So much about the victim's background, right? That, uh, well, they had had sex before, or they were walking at night, um, or that they had this, you know, reputation for promiscuity, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, or that they were dressed provocatively, right? And these are things that are also, uh, you know, global phenomena, right? We see these uh, types of Allegations, right, um, used against uh, women uh, globally, but I find it particularly striking in the context of a state that was ostensibly based on uh, women's emancipation, and as you note, know, this form of legislation that should have worked in women's favor, not against them.
0: Yeah, definitely, and and then we should also stress that uh, that the legislation from the 1930s was repeated and made made even more progressive in the 69 when the communist uh, uh, penal code was uh, uh, was introduced and in this uh, in, in this new law from from 69 rape was not even defined as as a sexual crime it was just it was defined as a as a crime against freedom so so there was this so legally there was this idea of you know of uh, that Raping somebody is, is attacking his or her freedom. So and so so you can see that there's this concept of sexual autonomy already there in this law, which is I think if, if you this this is six six sixty nine. So it it's really if you compare this to other countries, uh, th- this is really remarkably progressive. And and at the same time, there is such a stigma around this uh and and the stigma that's that's there in culture and that's being and which is being uh, being strength, strengthened by by experts who say all these things about control and uh, indirect communication but at the same time not to be so critical of sexologists you can. i should also add that that the, Sometimes they blame the victims, but sometimes they also talk about how how brutal uh, rape is. and And there this, this were there were sexologists who first talk about things like rape in marriage. So the same experts who would be so critical of women's behavior, they would also say that there is this thing as rape in marriage, and it happens not only uh, not only in some kind of uh, Working class uh, among working class drunk as you usually imagine as these things are usually imagined and were imagined in in Poland, but it also happened among members of of uh, uh, the urban elites and so on. So, so I think there's a lot of contradictions here, uh, and it also shows us that that this topic was really vividly discussed and and we often think about socialism as this time without any discussion and and to uh, the time of, of you know totalitarian rule where there was no space for discussion but but if you if if you look at the issue of sexual violence it was really deeply discussed and some people did not agree with the experts and i think that and also experts look at various so as in in relation to other issues also, he look experts looks at other dimensions of, of sexual violence, social or cultural or political, and and so there's really a, a lot of discussion around this. And I think that when when there's a strong feminist voice, uh, which appears in Poland in the 1990s, then experts uh, really change and they, they they have they incorporate this. Uh, I mean, those old experts, as I called them, uh, sexologists, they incorporate. Certain feminist ideas and, and change, uh, change the discourse at least partly. So to say something optimistic. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, I was struck by how, uh, how significant the feminist perspective, particularly their expertise, the expertise of feminist sexologists was in these court cases after the 90s. But then, of course, there was also the issue of uh, these older judges um, and law enforcement that are very much continuing to adhere to these patriarchal ideas about women's sexuality and obviously that's true, the socialist period, but it continues into the post-socialist period. In any case, uh, I feel like in in general, uh, this discussion very much underscores also those tensions under socialism, where you have this supposedly, you know, progressive uh, gender policies and and progressive state with respect to women's rights, but then that there's also tradition and cultural mores, which then undermine some of this, right? And, 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 and in a way, uh, are anti-women, very, very uh, anti-women. Okay, so I was wondering um, if you could talk about your book within the context of other scholarship on sexuality in the Eastern Bloc. So um, maybe, as you do this, also recommend similar books on the topic to our listeners.
0: Well, I think that the topic really became, uh, became popular you know as I, as I told you when I first uh, thought about this there was nothing about uh, um, sexology in Poland and not so much in Eastern Europe now there are uh, there's a lot of new really interesting work and the topic became really uh, visible globally after Kristen Gottzi a uh, um, short article in the New York Times why women had better s- uh, sex under socialism. So I think now we have a, a, a really interesting uh, work and interesting discussion around this. And of course, if I to recommend uh, a book, that would be that would be Tatjana Liskova. Uh, Uh, Book on on Czechoslovakia on sexology uh, in Czechoslovakia, sexual liberation socialist style, and and I think it's uh, it's uh, it's really interesting to have a look at 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 Polish and Czechoslovak um, sexologists because they are in many ways they are similar, and there were a lot of exchanges between uh, between the two contexts, but they are they are also different. But also, these similarities can, can also show us, show us uh, a lot. So, for instance, in the beginning, you asked about the church. So, so of course, you can explain a lot of what's going, what was going on in Poland through the church. But if you uh, combine it with Czechoslovakia, if, if you compare it with Czechoslovakia, which is such a secular country, uh, way more secular than Poland, one of the most secular uh, countries ever. Then you can see there's so especially in the seventies all those ideas about traditional family and proper gender roles as a key to good sex that they are just so similar and there is there is there is the Catholic Church in Poland and there is no church at all in Czechoslovakia and the discourse of of expertise is just very 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 similar so so I think reading the the two books together can can also uh, can show a lot of uh, interesting, uh, uh, give some interesting context to to, to to the Polish case. And I think it's also interesting to see how sexology developed in Czechoslovakia uh, in the 19th. I mean, it developed earlier, but in the 1950s, it was huge and it was just, very, very progressive with Czech, Czechoslovak uh, sexologists doing work on women, on female orgasm and saying that equality is the key to, to female orgasm. So Poland didn't have these things, unfortunately. Or maybe I just haven't found them yet, but i afraid no. Um, yeah, so, so so, 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 I think that there's, uh, there's a lot of interesting... Uh, Spaces to compare, and uh, what uh, what it shows it's uh, that it just shows similarities, but it also shows the diversity within the East Bloc, because we tend to think that there was the East Bloc and everything was the same, but it wasn't. So we we didn't have orgasm research in the fifties, and so and and it just and Czechoslovak sexology didn't have this. Humanistic character as Polish sexology did. So, so there, there are similarities, but there are also differences that that show us that show us the really deep diversity within the region. But at the same time, show us that there was so much going there was so much going on in Eastern Europe, and these intellectual traditions are often so much forgotten as. Since, since the early 1990s, there's a strong idea of uh, catching up with the West, uh, and especially in fields like sexology.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, it's such an exciting field. And I'm also thinking of Josie McClellan's book on East Germany, where she's focused on love and sexuality. And I just look forward to more work on this area. So uh, I really appreciate that your book is now out in English. So, congratulations. So I was wondering if you could talk about sex and in particular the expression of sexuality in Poland today. And I'm thinking of this in respect to the total ban on abortion, the recent total ban on abortion in Poland, and the obvious undermining of women's reproductive rights, which clearly is going to bear on their sexual behavior and practices, but also more broadly with respect to LGBTQ individuals. And of course, there have been increased attacks on them, but this is, this is also ongoing and so, what are your thoughts about this, uh, with respect to Poland today and in the future?
0: It's a, it's a really complicated question because uh, these are all the things that's happening now. So it's hard to reflect on them differently than from a very personal perspective, personal political perspective. Uh, but uh, so, so of course, what's going on in Poland now? It's a Incredibly strong conservative move on the part of uh, uh, of our government, and then there's this really strong uh, uh, counter uh, counteraction on the part of mostly young people, who for whom suddenly sexuality and uh, both sexual liber- liberation and gender emancipation became Really important, and these issues became so uh, so central to to the Polish public debate. And then, and then, if if we look at this, uh, uh, if I'm trying to look at this from the perspective of my research on the history of sexuality, uh, what I can see it's is that history doesn't really the 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 concept of some kind of linear development is just. Uh, Not there because you have you you have some development towards things being more progressive earlier uh, in the 80s or early 1990s and then even when I was finishing uh, research for my book in in the uh, early in the 10 20 I mean uh, 2012 then the the situation looked different, but if you look at this now, we have such a backlash against all the uh, uh, the achievements of, of Polish feminist movement and then of Polish uh, LGBTQ mov- Q movement. So, so especially on the on the part of official um, uh, official policies. But at the same time, I think these ach- achievements are not lost because there are so many young people fighting for, uh, for gender equality, for sexual rights and for reproductive rights, that, that I think that I'm at least a little bit optimistic about the future. Yeah. I mean, as they said,
1: right, the largest protest since the collapse of socialism in Poland, right? So yeah. um, pretty impressive. And it, you see a similar tendency uh, in Romania as well. And that gives me hope as well. And especially young people, right, who are just not willing to regress, right? They don't want to live in, in this incredibly conservative, regressive society. Exactly. Um, okay, so I thought... I thought we could just close by having you uh, take a minute or two to discuss your current project.
0: Well, so as you said, my other book is also coming out in English. After I wrote this, I wrote another one on, on the history of sex education. Uh, but uh, what I'm trying to do today is just to combine sexuality with uh uh, with thinking uh, about uh, race and ethnicity, so uh, my my thinking about this started during the so-called uh, refugee crisis in in Europe, when Polish uh, Polish public discourse was just so much into this concept of. Uh, uh, dark skin man coming to Poland and raping polish women so I thought that there's a space of of intersection of sexuality and race because this this idea of, uh, of refugees who just uh, you know first they, they managed to cross the the sea and then they walk for Two or three thousand kilometers, and then they come to rape Polish women. Uh, this was just, I thought it was just so absurd, but at the same time, it was really discussed very seriously within the Polish media, not only right wing media, but also a little bit to the center. So, so since then, uh, I was just, I'm just trying to to think about uh, how to incorporate, uh, uh, this thinking about, uh, uh, I mean, what's the relationship between sexuality and racism? And and, Pol- and Poland and I think Eastern Europe in general is perceived as being outside of any global racial formations or hierarchies, but it's not. Uh, as we could see back then during the so-called refugee crisis, uh, but if you look historically uh, they are very much um, into these discussions from the very beginning, and there is uh, there is an essay by uh, W.E.B. Uh, du Bois on on his free travels to Poland, uh, and then he he concludes that these travels to Poland those visits to Poland, taught him that maybe. Talking about race is not only talking about color, but there are also other forms of discriminations that should be taken into, into consideration. So I'm just trying to build on that and see uh, sexuality and race in Eastern Europe in a more global uh, perspective.
1: Well, yeah, that's another new, exciting area of research with respect to Eastern Europe. So I look forward to reading your research on this topic when it's published. And uh, I just want to close by thanking you for taking the time to speak with me. It's been such a pleasure, and I've learned so much. So, thank you, Agnieszka.
0: Thank you. It was the pleasure was mine.